1: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Geek Buddies here on the Outlaw Nation Network. Thank you so much for taking the time to hit that play button on this YouTube video. And hey, if you're downloading us on the podcast feed, thank you so much for doing that as well because you are about to have a good time for an hour on the Geek
2: Buddies. Hey! Hey! Uh, Uh, This intro intro before the intro, I don't know about it. I don't know about it. (laughs) It's a te-
1: It's that teaser before the trailer. What are you talking about? That's how it works. Mm. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Then the studio comes up, and then the trailer starts. That's how it works. Uh, in theaters everywhere, but on YouTube right now, uh, certainly uh, the Geek Buddies. This is going to be a fun one. I think all three of us, or at least two out of three of us, are struggling a little bit this morning. One of us is bright-eyed and bushy-tailed with some French toast in him. He is ready to go, Uh, but I am struggling a little bit because I've had a very busy day today as we record this, but uh, uh, I am John Rook. I'm a writer, producer, and host here uh, in town, and I uh, run the Outlaw Nation uh, YouTube channel as well.
2: Uh, I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies and a French toast aficionado. (laughs) And this is Shannon McClung. I'm an animation
3: writer and a television actor where you may have seen me on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, The Goldbergs, and Silicon Valley. And I am one of two people that are struggling this morning because this is the morning after Cinco de Mayo. And just because we're in Florida doesn't mean you can't celebrate.
1: Well as uh, I think Maureen McGovern once said in the 70s there's got to be a morning after. So there's your morning after <laughs> situation. Nice reference for those of you over 40. Um all right so we're going to get into a lot of things today as you saw from the title of the episode to Josh Trank interview with Polygon that was really revelatory uh, about the behind the scenes drama going on you get to decide which side on the fence you're on. That one uh, Taika Waititi doing Star Wars and of course the Space Force trailer that's coming That's uh with the the series that's coming soon at the end of May from Netflix and our Space big so yeah, space force and our big uh, main story is going to be, and this is a fun one. We've been doing these kind of evergreen topics of the last few years, or uh, for a few weeks rather, and that is a few years. Yeah, feels like it. Feels like it's been a few years. <laughs> it's only been one. It's only been one. Uh, it's going to be the top three iconic moments from the post Disney purchase of Star Wars. So top three Star Wars moments. Post the Disney per- purchase, which is around the uh, latter half of 2012 to now. So, the three of us are going to like throw out our top three iconic moments. And we don't know which one, uh, which three we've chosen. So, it'll be a surprise for all three of us as we can, as we reveal them to you all and, and to of each
2: course, other. Uh, and that is, of course, because in addition to Cinco de Mayo, which Shannon so eloquently celebrated last yeah. night, uh, this is also the week of May the 4th. Uh, so may the force be with you and we are celebrating all things star wars uh along with the rest of the nerd world uh in this galaxy and many others
1: yeah are, do they have one for every number now is it may the fourth be with you revenge we'll there's be- a big uh, revenge of the fifth
2: what's the sixth? there's a big debate about like whether it should be revenge of the fifth or revenge of the sixth because the fifth is the next day but sixth is a lot closer to the actual word yeah i feel like we need like a really good fifth day yeah and then revenge of the sixth would be good but i don't know what the fifth could be based Mm. off of how i am feeling at the moment i'm in the
3: revenge of the sixth camp
2: yeah i'm kind of in the revenge of the sixth camp as well May the fourth, Cinco de Mayo, Revenge of the Sixth. Yeah, yeah, that works. That could that makes the, sense. Could the
1: fifth be the fifth awakens? Like the Force Awakens? Could that be the fifth? Hey.
2: Hey. Oh, the Fifth Awakens. And now you gotta come up with something for the third because May 2nd, for all of the uh all of oh. the multi-brand nerds out there, is not yeah. a Star Wars holiday, but it is the anniversary of the Battle for Hogwarts, which took place on May 2nd in the world of Harry Potter. So you kind of got like May the 2nd is the Battle of Hogwarts, <laughs> third is a prep, and then you've got As may the fourth be with you, the fifth awakens, and revenge Mm -hmm. of the sixth. Yeah, there we
1: go. go. (laughs) I really should should have read those books. Uh, All
2: right. Anyway, uh, let's move on.
1: Uh, Our first topic is uh, the Josh Trank. uh, conversation. I'm going to lead this one. Right? Is that right? Is we, we scheduled that one, right? The Josh Trank thing first? Yeah. All right. Well, first of all, let's just uh, bring this thing up, and that is and as a kind of a lead into this, and that is uh, that my man Nick Cage will be playing the Tiger King. That was originally going to be my uh, story, but then the Josh Trank thing broke, and I was like, no, we got to go back uh, to that to talk about that instead, and so that's going to be the thing. Josh Trank gave an interview to Polygon, a pretty
2: extensive
1: interview. The writer –
2: We're just not even going to comment on that, like brilliant casting of Nick. Just real quick.
1: All right, real quick. Crazy,
2: perfect casting. I'm in. I'm in. I mean, I would have been in on any Tiger King anything because I find the entire thing so – Oddly satisfying, but nice. I'm just excited about it. It's, I don't think you can let you can't just throw in. By the way, Nick Cage is playing Tiger King <laughs> on with the on with the article. Okay.
1: You gotta say something fair enough. Good point, Shannon. What's your feeling yeah, on it?
3: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, in terms of Tiger Tiger King scripted content, like Kate McKinnon's going to play him in one series, Nick Cage's going to play him in another. I personally don't know what you can add to that story. In that yeah. we we've seen, I feel like we've seen the craziest of the crazy, but who knows nick cage as a as a gun-toting tiger tiger king with sure. homosexual
1: tiger king as well homosexual
3: tiger king not to be confused with the heterosexual tiger king right <laughs> <Listen>.
2: <laughs> sure do you think if we get enough tiger king scripted content from differing places can we create like a tiger king cinematic universe where it all crosses over a, a tku at some point a tku yeah. i'm down a TKU. with it. <laughs>
1: I'm cool with a TKU. <laughs> I get that t shirt. Oh, yeah. I mean, I like this idea. It's a scripted a series, going to be like eight episodes on CBS uh, and uh, uh, Imagine Entertainment. Uh, Grazer over there, Ryan Grazer, he's in charge of the overall. Show Uh, the Carol Baskin one is completely different. That's based on a podcast series. So both of these shows are separate in their own way. In that uh, uh, the Kate McKinnon Carol Baskin thing is kind of a prequel, where you're exploring Carol Baskin's life, and this Tiger King one is a little bit of a prequel too, because it's about how he became the Tiger King. So I'm I'm curious to see, like, is Nick Cage going to slim down like crazy, or is this going to be one of those like interpretive films, like uh, Anthony Hopkins as Richard Nixon? You're like, he doesn't look nothing like. Nixon but he's embodying Nixon so maybe we're going to see that kind of weird version of the Tiger King as Nicolas Cage sees the Tiger King uh, but this is Nicolas Cage's first time on television so that's exciting um, and we'll see how this all plays out someone brought up in the chat this morning on mornings with the outlaw they said well do you think with all the shutdowns and the delays that the taste for the Tiger King might disappear by the time these are actually done
2: I think that's probably, I think there's a little bit of truth to that. I mean, Mm. I think that at the end of the day, if it's good, it's good. Like, I think that Mm -hmm. either one of these, the Kate McKinnon or the Nick Cage, like, if it's really good and it does give us something new, I think, great. But there's definitely a solid chance with both of them that uh, by the time they do get done, they get shot, they get filmed, they get edited, they get released, that like Mm -hmm. Tiger King Mania, we might be a little bit past it. So it'll be interesting to see.
3: Yeah, I I absolutely think that's that's a possibility to have Joe Exotic fatigue, Um, Mm -hmm. especially as we, you know, as we come out of the quarantine and and we're able to go back to the movies. If you choose to go back to the movies, I think people are going to be there there are going to be more options available outside of the home.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what we're really heading towards. Overall at some point here with the Tiger King stuff, like will we run out of juice by the time or will there be another documentary? It's like Chicago, right? Roxy was all the talk until near the end another a woman killed her husband and Roxy was forgotten, just like Velma got forgotten for Roxy. So this could be another Tiger King series. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Kudos to you for just turning it into a musical theater analogy. Like, of all the things you could have used, <laughs> and you just did it without even blinking an eye. You didn't go like, "I'm going to go music theater here for a minute." You were like, "Let's talk Bellman Roxy." We all know what we all know. Bellman Roxy. Uh,
1: I feel like that's middle. I feel like that's you know mainstream references that I can make on that one. So. All that jazz.
2: All that jazz. <laughs>
1: and all that jazz. <laughs> uh, but the main, the my main uh, geek news item I want to talk about because we're gonna ha- we're gonna have to hear more about to hear more about. the Nicolas Cage thing down the road for sure is the Josh Trank uh, interview he did with Polygon. This is one of the most in-depth, extensive articles you'll ever read uh, from uh, from a, a news site or from a site. Uh, interviewing a director that had a lot of drama in their production. <laughs> Certainly uh, what I found interesting about this whole situation, Matt Patches, by the way, the writer at Polygon who did this, and it's one of those long articles. It ain't one you can read while you're, you know, sitting there for two minutes between the shows. This is a long one. you got to consume so much in here. And he talks about, uh, he presents, uh, Matt Patches does, the, everything that was going on, according to Josh Trank, everything that was going on, according to the writer Slater, that was involved in this thing, uh, and uh, he doesn't get quotes necessarily from the studio, but certainly tries to kind of look at it from the studio point of view as well. But this whole thing is, as someone might say, a whole mishpoka There's a lot going on in here, in this situation, that was. Interesting to read and interesting to discover about Trank. Trank, who's not known for being a uh, hold-your-lip kind of person, who tweeted out after Fantastic Four his thoughts about the whole situation, and this kind of fleshed it out. The issues with the writer, his own paranoia, the fact that his dog had died before this, him dealing with being famous after the Chronicle situation, uh, and then also uh, having other writers like Simon Kinberg come in and do the reshoots and him having to stand and watch them do reshoots on his movie and then only cursory according to him, cursorily asking him if what they're doing is okay as they went along. Uh, him, uh, We even heard about him sleeping with a gun under his bed because of the death threats when he cast Michael B. Jordan as Johnny Storm in the movie. So a lot was explored here. Uh, I go with you, Michael, first as an executive. Uh, uh, what's your feeling when you read something like this? Is this a, a, a director who's just a bit off, off the reservation or is this a director that kind of legitimately has some gripes here with the studio interference?
2: yes <laughs> okay. okay no it's actually here's what I'll say it is a long read it is a long read uh, I do think that whether or not you care about Fantastic Four whether or not you care about Josh Trank I think that if mm-hmm. you are interested in kind of how the Hollywood process works I think yeah. this is a really really great article to read I think that it really gets into the push and pull that makes this industry work because Mm -hmm. trank is definitely you know he went from making chronicle which was a lower budget movie uh as they speak about in the article itself because of the way it was shot because everything was all about first person perspective the camera being used to everything it was a very hard thing for anybody to give notes on after the fact to edit it kind of Mm -hmm. was what it was and it worked amazing and he kind of entered the Hollywood system doing this movie where he had almost 100% control and went directly from that to a giant brand that had all of these expectations. It's a comic book movie in an era of comic book movies. And he got tossed into a studio system uh, that he wasn't really prepared for because, and we talk about this all the time, Movies work because there is a super creative team behind it that has a vision for what they want to have happen. But when you're working on a Marvel movie or a Star Wars movie or a DC movie, you also have a ton of people that are going to weigh in at every level. And the art of filmmaking and movie making in this era is being able to weather that. And this article really talks a lot about that, that to make it in the industry, particularly in the way the industry is right now, Uh, you have to be able to work with a large group of people, know when to double down on something, when to let something go. And it just sounds like, and by his own admission, Mm -hmm. it just sounds like Josh Trank was not in a place in his life, emotionally, in his career, where he was ready to understand where to let go on things and what to do. I mean, to hear about the process of him writing that script with the writer uh, Slater... Uh, you know, just it wasn't they they just weren't seeing eye to eye from the get go. And yeah. he and he was he just couldn't get past like where he was at. Uh, so it's just to me, it's a very interesting article that really sheds a lot of light on how challenging it is to make a movie in this industry. And I don't think it's an yeah. article that says Josh Trank is a bad guy because he's this young kid who didn't want to let go of his vision. And I don't yeah. think the studio is bad for flipping out about not knowing what to do with this big franchise it just shows how challenging it really really is and how it's amazing that any of these movies get made the way that they do
1: yeah and uh, shout out to jeremy slater that's the writer we're referencing on the film want to make sure we get that in there uh shannon your thoughts on this so much uh was thrown out by uh josh Trank in this uh, thoughts overall thoughts uh what stood out to you well, the things that really stood out to me because I didn't know I didn't know anything
3: about his background and how mm. he grew up in Los Angeles and, how, and and just basically how he attached himself to movies a long time ago and, and the hustling that he actually did at the beginning um, to get into a position where he was able, like he, he got a really lucky break when yeah. he had this idea. Uh, for chronicle that he and uh some other writers or one writer were able to work out um seth rogan gave a really interesting interview many years ago um because mm. he was talking about the way to success to, the way to be able to make your movie in the studio system is to keep it under a certain budget like if, yeah. if you if you keep it under this number they're pretty much just going to let you do what you want, what you want to do. I think he was referring to pineapple, pineapple, uh, pineapple express at the time. Mm-hmm. And then after that, he went and did the green Hornet, which, you know, had a lot more eyes on it. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, it taught me a valuable lesson. Don't make big movie. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> if, if, Fair if, you're, if you're that attached to your vision, make, you need to make a smaller movie because that's the way to retain most of the control. You yeah. read how, one, it sounds like Josh Trank didn't really, doesn't really like superhero movies or superhero movies that were playing very well at the times. I think it was Jeremy Slater in the article who said, like, they watched Avengers, and he's like, that, we have to do that. Yeah. And Josh Trank had no interest in doing that. Right. And, you know, in, in Hollywood, nobody wants you until they want you. And yeah. when Fox saw what he did with Chronicle, and they're like, sure, Fantastic Four, what do you got? And this was a franchise that they had they had two swings at with the with the Tim Story films and they weren't bombs by any means yeah. like they made money but there was definite there was a uh, creative void with those movies that they just mm-hmm. didn't really satisfy the general movie going public and they didn't satisfy the fans either it's like hey they kind of tr- they tried to do what Marvel successfully did with Thor with Taika Waititi they're like throw us something different mm-hmm. throw something else out there and <laughs> The further they got down the road, the more they realized it wasn't going to work.
1: Yeah, I think it wasn't going to work because they picked a guy based off a very dark uh, superhero film. Chronicle is a very dark film. And the ending is super dark as well, with what they decide to do and what they feel they have to do, those characters to stop the super villain that was one of their friends from carrying out some terrible things uh, on the world. And so I don't know why they thought Fantastic Four. Wouldn't have that argument or wouldn't have that vibe to it. And it's really interesting because I think studios also you have to look at like okay, you hire this director. How much vetting was done here? Maybe Mike, you can speak to this. Possibly how much vetting is done here? How much of the conversations? Because obviously you have to pitch a story, and they have to be behind your story. And then something gets something gets lost in the communication when these things happen. And you know, we'll reference Kathleen Kennedy in just a second. But that same thing happened here with the Lord Miller situation. But way, you know, just about as as far down the road as you can go uh, in that uh, situation as well but you look at this is well what was what was the conversation where was the miscommunication where was the breakdown in the back and forth and why isn't why didn't trank take more control here and understand that it wasn't working with slater that they had two different visions and get himself another writer that was more in tune with what he wanted to create
2: well i think a couple things i think it's like i was saying i think that when we say when we have these conversations we tend to use the studio as some kind of all encompassing, like here's the director and here's the studio. Like there's a guy with an S on his head uh, in a, in a room, but like the studio is built of, creative executives right. and their bosses and business and legal affairs and a bunch of different areas that are all working to make something happen. And there's always a bunch of opinions in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, casting has an opinion. Uh, you know, the, uh, the creative execs have an opinion. If you are working through a production pod and those producers and those executives have mm-hmm. opinions, I mean, you get on calls and you'll have like 10 different people saying 10 different things about what Fantastic Four would be and with Fantastic Four in particular, Nobody knew how to make it work. They had done the lighter, silly stuff. And so kind of to your point, like, look, Chronicle comes out and here's what the studio saw. They saw a movie that was made for very little money Mm -hmm. that all of us, all of the nerds who they were trying to court to come to their movies, went to go see this thing and flipped out about it. Yeah, This is is a great superhero movie. And so darkness and tone and everything else aside, they went, this guy's got a thing. And Hollywood always wants to find that new voice, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or, or that person who's been doing things for a while on the outskirts who they want to bring in, like, and you know, when it works, when it's a James Gunn, when it's a Taika Waititi, it works. You, you do Coogler. something like, or yeah, or, or Ryan Coogler, absolutely. Like yeah. when it works, you go, that was brilliant. right? And Josh Trank had all the signs of, if he could have worked within that system, yeah. if he knew when to say, you know, it's like, and kind of Shannon, to your point, I don't know that the Fox executives were fully aware that uh, Trank and Slater were over here looking at Fantastic Four comics and looking at Avengers and Trank going, yeah, I don't want to do that. Right. And had they been in that room, there probably would have been a, that's what we want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, even true. Slater says in this article when he, he's, you know, that, that, that Trank, because of where he was at, was yeah. very, Slater didn't talk to the studio. The studio didn't talk to Slater. Trank. Right managed all of that communication. So I think that's where you say the, like everybody, Kathleen Kennedy, wanting him for a Star Wars movie, like he had all the signs of being one of those up and comers that was going to put his mark on things and take the superhero genre in a new and exciting direction. And he just, I think by his own admission, by the end of this article, that's not the world that he wants to live in as a filmmaker.
1: Yeah. And you know, you want to bash a guy? I know there was a lot of going on around, uh, you know, bashing him and bashing the movie, and then him like kind of everyone thought he bit the hand that fed him by bashing the movie when it came out, uh, and then of course we see in the article he pulls himself out uh, of the Star Wars situation after having that conversation with Kathleen because he sensed, at least the article says, he sensed that he was going to be fired. So you know, if he still was cognizant enough and PR aware enough to be like, well. I'll leave, right? It's like that girl or that guy that you can sense is going to break up with you. You just do the preemptive breakup so you can somehow save face, uh, which of course never works, but you can somehow save face. But if that person, but if you care <laughs> if you care for that person more than they care for you, guess what? You're still going to feel the pain of the loss of that person. So it's that kind of situation. He was trying to save face by leaving the situation, but in the end, he was going to be fired anyway. And the stigma still uh, kind of uh, came along with him. But I find this fascinating because He's doing this film, Capone, with Tom Hardy. It's about Capone at the end of his life in prison, going crazy from gonorrhea. And people think that he hey, has. A, it'll drive you crazy. Oh, OK.
2: The big G. I don't,
1: OK. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it, it barely has two million dollars, uh, supposedly somewhere that he's buried and everyone's trying to find out where it is because they know he's going to die And then other people are saying that it's not true. There's no $2 million. He's crazy. So the film seems to be focusing on whether he's telling the truth or not. And it almost feels like these films are reflections of Josh Trank. You know, I mean, he said in Fantastic Four, he wanted to write a film that felt like I felt, which was climbing out of hell. That's interesting. So maybe in this film, this Tom Hardy film is this film of him, like maybe his talent is the two million dollars and people are questioning whether he still has it. And other people are saying he does have it. He just doesn't want to show anybody yet. So there's a weird kind of connections you can make to directors and how they how certain pieces speak to them and why they choose to direct it. And it seems to be reflected from Chronicle on. Into Josh Trank. I find him a fascinating cat. I like honest people in Hollywood. It's rare to find, but that doesn't mean his version of the story is necessarily the true version of the story. It's just his version of the story. Well, and it also but doesn't I, mean like he's a likable
3: guy. Right. <laughs> right. Fair, like, fair you, point. You, you read some of this. I mean, it's interesting that like the Capone thing that you brought up. You read some of the things at the beginning, and it's like, yeah. yeah, you might be uh you might be a genius, a misunderstood genius. You also sound like a little bit of an asshole. <laughs> <laughs>
2: true, very true. <laughs> and, to
3: and be they, fair, most
2: misunderstood. Most yeah, most misunderstood geniuses are kind of assholes.
3: Yeah, yeah, true. But then you get to the you get to the Capone part where uh because his movie is the little cog to the big cog that is Tom Hardy's career.
1: Yeah,
3: it's the one that's going to get moved around. And you hear about some of these last last minute changes, and your heart does go out for the guy. It's just like God, you just want to do your job, and you're being prevented from doing that yeah. by things that are completely out of your control.
0: Yeah.
2: I, uh, I I want to say two things just really quick because sure. I know we got to move on to the other stuff. But like yep. one, uh, one of the things I really liked about this article that I think is a really good lesson for everybody because we all uh, get wrapped up in every decision we make, career wise. Is this right? Is this wrong? Is yeah, this gonna? Yeah. Am I gonna? Am I gonna end up at Trader Joe's? Am I gonna win an Oscar? Like you know, like it's just, it's all over the place every day. Especially <laughs> when you're stuck at home in quarantine and just living with yourself. Right. And to to read an article about somebody who, kind of. Got it worse than I mean it was so bad. Yeah, I mean he 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 is blamed for both tanking Fantastic Four as a director and shitting all over it the day it came. I mean it just like yeah. it, it couldn't get worse than that. And so this whole article about him kind of coming through that and coming out the other side in a way is really inspirational. Yeah, uh, and the other thing I, as as a as a um, executive, we talked about this. We talked about this all the time when I was there, and even mm-hmm. as a writer on the other side. You talk about this because you know it's true that they say all the time that um, when when hiring somebody, whether it be a director, a writer, a showrunner, anything, you want someone who is, there's three things, talented, on time, and pleasant, like you like them. (laughs) And if you can get two of those three things, you're good. Like if you're two of those three, like if you're like, you're not the best writer, but you're on time and everyone really likes you, you'll work. If you're amazingly talented and people like you but you turn shit in late, cool cool. But like it's with him it was like he's clearly amazingly talented. You look at Chronicle you're like he's clearly amazingly talented, but the other two pieces didn't seem to be there so much. <laughs> yeah. And Dude, that Shannon was the Am- issue.
1: Does Shannon have two out of three or one out of three? Which three. Shannon's, but been-
2: Shannon is three out of three all day oh. long, baby.
1: Oh, geez. All right, that's good. Yeah, I'm five. That's right. <laughs>
2: uh, <anyway.
1: laughs> uh, all right, let's move on to our next story. I think it's the Space Force story. Is that correct, Shannon?
3: Yeah, yeah. The trailer. So, so this series was announced sort of in the immediate aftermath of of our our president announcing that there was going to be a fifth arm of the uh, or a fifth branch of the armed services that was going to be space force and automatically the comedians jumped on it right away I mean, it was just i mean i mean it was low very low hanging fruits but now the trailers come out it's it comes from greg daniels who created the office who was part of you know creating parks of rec king of the hill with steve carell and the first trailer comes out and they are leaning into because we didn't know what it was going to be like is it going to be a show about a a a, a military you know group already in space like what is it and it's like oh no this is about the creation of this and they're leaning into sort of the ridiculousness of okay we have to create another branch of the armed services and you get to be in charge of it um you you have a ton of very talented very very funny people involved um just the fact that greg daniels and and uh and i was gonna say michael scott uh steve carell are (laughs) are are, uh you know reuniting for this it certainly seems like it's going to be a funny series what do you guys think
2: yeah go ahead mike yeah no i was gonna say i think I think uh, saying that Greg Daniels and Michael Scott are back together is the most apt way to put it. I think that <laughs> post the office, Steve Carell's done a lot of things. Uh, you know, I mean, whether it be everything from Morning Show to a bunch of other stuff, where he's shown like his range. And he's actually he's an incredible actor. He's a, he's an incredible dramatic actor. He's funny in a lot of different ways. But this is very squarely in a sort of he does he as opposed to Michael Scott, who was sort of in a. Basic job, but was an idiot. This looks like someone who actually is reasonably intelligent-ish in an impossible position. But you're still getting full Michael Scott vibes, uh, which is, I think, what I love the most about the trailer. I mean that that was like it was like pure Steve Carell. Like when he goes into his office by himself, mean that like the near the end of the trailer, and to calm himself down, starts singing Kokomo. (laughs) Like I was like, I'm in. Like I'm gonna watch this show. It's great. Yeah, I think
1: if this had been another actor, I'd have found this a little bit cheesy. But, I, but because it's Carell, I think what you said is correct, Mike. You've got a guy who's established himself as a dramatic and comedic actor successfully from like Little Miss Sunshine on. He's shown an ability to hang with dram, dramatic stuff or comedy stuff and everything in between. So to see him kind of grab this mantle and take it, it does feel like Michael Scott – Combined with his uh, Evan Almighty character in this yeah. situation, that's what it feels like to me as I was watching it. And I know those beats from Corel, but I don't care because it's Corel. I'm going to have a good time watching it. And I like the fact that they flesh this out. Yes, the, it could have been done for a one-joke gag for like a multiple episodes, but they give him a daughter, they give him a you know a family life, they give him a military life, they give him uh, you know uh, is there is there nefarious things going on? I think one of my favorite shots is right at the end, and other another astronaut carrying another astronaut under the title is just brilliant that shows you that there's going to be a lot of convoluted crazy stuff happening on this show that's going to be funny and I hope it all works because I tried that uh, um, Hugh Laurie show on HBO and I was bored halfway through the first episode maybe it's because I'm not a big big Josh Gad fan so maybe that's it too but I just did not like uh, what I was watching so I hope this is funnier and this feels more fleshed out which I appreciate because You did. You're right, Shannon. It's low hanging fruit, but low hanging fruit that can get boring or old if you don't know how to kind of, you know, do more with it. And it feels like they're doing a lot more with it. And there might be commentary on this that's uh, prescient or certainly topical. But I also enjoy the cast. I mean, Patrick Warburton, Jane Lynch, uh, John Malkovich. uh, I don't know the two younger actresses that well, but everyone involved in this. uh, It looks hilarious. The dude from Veep. I mean, it has Veep vibes as well throughout. So I'm excited by that.
2: Well, and I think it's what we were saying earlier about Nick Cage and, and about these Tiger King projects. Mm. Like Space Force was announced a ways back. We all made yeah. fun of it. We all rolled our eyes. <laughs> uh and and to your point, had this been just a let's make fun of Mike Pence and Donald Trump, oh, right, right, it right? Maybe right. would have it maybe would have felt a little bit like, all right, we're past that. Like we're, we're like they've done like 95 stupid things since then. Like this is yeah. like the last. But because it looks like it's been fleshed out, because it looks like they took it and really thought it through, I think it looks uh, it looks like it's kind of fun, and it's kind of probably the thing that we really need right now. like yeah. it it's 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 a, it's grounded in something that we all find really frustrating or a lot of us find very frustrating,
1: yeah
2: uh, which is our current uh, situation, yeah, situation in politics. But it's removed <laughs> enough that it's a, it's escapist and we can laugh at it. And I yeah. think that's probably the exact right balance of what we need right now if it works. Yeah, I don't and agree. you know what? As
3: you had said, Mike, you know, Steve Carell left the office. He went off and did some really great dramatic work. He scored himself a, an Academy Award nomination. He also played The Thing in <laughs> Josh oh, Steve Carell, <laughs> Carell was The Thing. Steve Carell was The Thing.
2: They just, didn't uh, know that he actually yeah, did the motion for capture you, for that. It was amazing. For those of you listening at home, <laughs> is getting a little trigger happy on his images. And, <laughs> uh, We're just getting a little crazy over here. I'm trying to up up the show. I'm trying to up
1: the professionalism.
2: Of
0: the show. <laughs> uh, anyway,
1: go ahead.
3: Sorry, Steve Carell is going back to being funny, and yes. I think where again where we are right now, because obviously this show was in production way before our current climate. Um, uh, what more can you want than than a funny Steve Carell show? to get you through these the dog days of quarantine
1: yeah for sure absolutely for sure and i'm looking forward to it. And it's at the end of the month so may 29th uh, on yeah. netflix maybe the three maybe i'll uh kind of rattle my netflix cages my contacts there and see if i can get these episodes early and then the three of us can review them for maybe for uh, the geek buddies that'd be kind of fun so maybe hey, okay, we're, we're so. rattle what rattle the cage <laughs> rattles cage <laughs> where, are the, netflix, where, <laughs> are, the, where sure. are the drugs
3: yeah, uh, Space forced to be. Force.
1: <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. All right, let's move on to our last story before we jump into our main uh, uh, topic here. Michael, please.
2: Yeah, well, uh, this is sort of a little uh, appetizer towards our main topic. But uh, mm-hmm. on May the 4th, uh, a very big day for Star Wars fans. Uh, you know what's great? Star Wars, Lucasfilm, Disney, uh, being the giant commercial machine that they are, they've all very much embraced May the 4th. So we got a lot of goodness. Uh, You know, Rise of Skywalker is available on Disney Plus for anybody who chooses to watch that again, if that's the kind of torture you're into. Um, But also the final episode of Clone Wars, uh, the Disney Gallery, uh, the first part of an eight-part special with a behind-the-scenes look on Mandalorian. And uh, as more excitement, this was the day that they chose to announce uh, that Academy Award winner Taika Waititi uh, who directed the widely acclaimed first season finale of the Mandalorian, uh, is also going to direct and co-write a new star Wars feature film, um, with, uh, Academy Award nominee, Christy Wilson Cairns, who co-wrote, uh, 1917 with Sam Mendes. So that is the, all the information that we have about it so far. We don't know what it's about. We don't know what era it's in, Mm -hmm. but what we do know is everyone is super, super excited. Uh, We have been talking about this for a while. By far, we are not the only ones that put these pieces together. But Mm -hmm. looking at that Mandalorian team, looking at uh, is it Deborah Chow? Deborah Chow. Yeah. Deborah Chow. Yeah. It's looking at like the episodes that Deborah Chow directed as she's moving on to do the Obi-Wan series. Mm -hmm. Looking at Taika Waititi, Favreau. Uh, Dave Filoni looking at this team a lot of us were very excited about this uh, Taika's episode of Mandalorian like he he stuck the landing so well we're like this is what Star Wars should be so it's not necessarily surprising right that they're going down this road but it is very exciting and mm-hmm. it's very uh, it confirms everyone's hopes and wishes that Star Wars is moving in a really positive direction
1: yeah it's really funny as we kind of move past this trilogy which you know I wonder if overall, you know, people said, oh, they didn't have a, the plan. They didn't have a plan for the trilogy. Yeah, that could be true, but maybe their plan. Oh, it's just- true. Okay, fair. Oh, fair. it's true. <laughs> fair. <laughs> but I mean, maybe they were thinking long term, you know, like, let's just do this trilogy, kind of satisfy all the old fans. But we really want to bring in new voices, new approaches, new uh, uh, tastes to the Star Wars universe. And look, look, uh, Favreau got a lot of crap when he was announced as the guy with Mandalorian. He said, oh, another white male. It worked out, didn't it? Sometimes it's not about the race or the gender situation. Sometimes it is, and I know it's ironic for me to say this, but sometimes it is the right person for the job in this. And cool. in this situation, Favreau was certainly the right person. For the it doesn't mean that somebody else couldn't have come in of color or a, a woman of color or a woman come in and done just as good of a job. It's just that I think we have to look at the results, and the results are pretty fantastic. And people are excited about it. Clone Wars, another thing. Dave Filoni working there with Ashley Eckstein. Ahsoka Tano's storyline fantastic so there will be doors opening and now more and more female directors more and more people of color are being involved in this taika watiti person of color down there uh from is it new zealand i think or yeah new zealand so him getting involved in this is exciting as well so all the right voices i think what you say mike is correct all the right voices seem to be steering and moving into this uh new era of star wars post this trilogy uh and it's exciting to see and i love that taika's involved in this I just hope we don't have a Lord Miller situation. Let Taika do his thing. Don't mess with it. Let Taika do his thing. He certainly could get it done with Thor Ragnarok under the auspices of Kevin Feige. So show me. And maybe this is Feige moving into... I don't know, but like, this is a good decision. And I like the Leslie Headland decision as well to have her with the Disney plus series that she's doing, uh, for yep. star Wars. So that, that reaffirms that they are committed to doing multiple TV shows on Disney plus that will feel cinematic, but still be TV shows.
2: I, and look, I could be wrong. I don't know, but I do think that Taika Waititi is not going to go through the same ringer that some other people have gone through on the yeah. star Wars process because a Thor Ragnarok is a pretty strong, like, yeah. w- you know what you're doing. I mean, it was so different from what Marvel had done. Yeah. But it paid off so huge for them that I think he has even more wiggle room than a Lord and Miller, who are also a very, very uh, successful team, obviously. Yeah. But I think he's got that wiggle room and the fact that he's done that in conjunction with sticking the landing on Mandalorian so hard. Because what's yeah. great about the finale of Mandalorian is it has a lot of those great Taika Waititi moments. I mean, Mm -hmm. the opening with those stormtroopers on the speeder bikes talking to each other is pure Taika Waititi comedy, but it feels Star Wars still. And so he's Mm -hmm. proven on a smaller scale that he can take what he does and still make it feel like it belongs in the right universe. Uh, Look, we've argued about this a thousand times. I like the beginning of Last Jedi, but I know a lot of people felt the, your mama jokes that Poe was throwing. No, I know. So I'm saying, I'm admitting that I get, I think that had Taika Waititi handled that scene, it could have been just as funny in a way that satisfied everybody. Yes,
1: someone funny handling it would have been funny. Yes, Ryan Johnson, wow. not well, known as
2: a comedian. All right. <laughs> well, and you
3: look at the comedy, uh, his sort of comedic history, like doing like What We Do in the Shadows, mm-hmm. A Hunt for the Wilder People. Like, yes, he has he has a very out there sensibility, but all of his comedy does kind of come. From an organic place, and mm-hmm. I think, and I think that's where the your mama joke at the beginning of Last Jedi didn't work. Is that that came out of left field? Whereas the the stormtrooper conversation, I don't. We certainly didn't expect it. Yeah, true. But, but it, but it worked for what it was, and yeah. it's going to be really interesting to see sort of the contrasting styles of his storytelling with the screenwriter of nineteen seventeen. Um, but at this point, I think Taika Waititi has definitely has definitely earned that, and I would imagine that the folks at Lucasfilm hindsight is twenty twenty that they probably should have let Lord and Miller finish solo the way that they wanted yeah. to finish it, and they wouldn't have gotten this sort of Frankenstein movie that it, it just ended up being fine. Yeah. Um, I, I I think that probably where where Lord and Miller had to stumble
2: for Taika Waititi to fly. Hmm. I also think that there's lessons being taken from the trilogy and, you know, we'll get into this a little bit more after the break yeah. as well. But I think that, look, to your point, Johnny, I don't think they went in going, let's get these out of the way. I mean, these were the movies that were meant to reinvigorate Star Wars and to their credit, in a lot of ways they do. Yeah. I think that in hindsight being 2020, uh, these, this trilogy will go back. We will look at it and go, that was They did what they needed to do in making Star Wars part of the zeitgeist again in a way Mm. that it hadn't been in a very long time. But the stories that came subsequent to them, uh, there's probably a little bit more freedom. You're not bogged down with how do you handle Han, Leia, Luke, like whatever anybody is doing from this this point forward, whether it's the Old Republic or the High Republic or what happens post the First Order, whatever it is, Mm. I think there's a little bit more freedom to take some chances now.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, um, I. This is so interesting to me because they don't know what they're. Gonna, they haven't announced what they're going to do. But wouldn't it be funny if they? Do, I mean, there's been a, a movement for this. Make Solo two happen. You might take a second look at Solo if uh, it's taiko Waititi doing it. You know, I mean, I think that I, I would be surprised if they go right with that route,
2: but I don't necessarily rule it out. I kind of think. <laughs> This is getting definitely into what we'll talk about after the break, but yeah. I think more the most interesting thing to most people mm-hmm. about Solo was Darth Maul running the crime syndicate at the end. Like, if there's right. anything that I care about seeing
1: Crimson Post yeah. Solo
2: is less about how does Solo get from there to sitting in a cantina in Ma- Moss Eisley when Luke uh, and and Ben show up, right. and more like I want to see more about Maul and what happened to him between. Where he's at in solo and where he appears in Star Wars Rebels.
1: Yeah, yeah, good point.
2: we'll see. That could easily be a Disney Plus series.
1: Yeah, we'll see. It's exciting. Anyway, all around, it's exciting. And, uh, you know, uh, I guess, just to clarify, I don't mean that they were getting, just getting through the trilogy to get through. I mean, like, I think they had to retire the old actors and the old characters so they could, so there was space to, so to speak, so there's space for more characters and actors to come into the Star Wars universe and flesh it out even more. All right, that's it. That's what I uh, I think. Uh, all right, cool. So, uh, that's our discussion on those geek items. Let's take a quick break uh, uh before we jump into our main of uh, main topic and uh we'll be right back uh, right after this. Doot.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, all right and we're double 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 topic, and back back to uh, the geek buddies uh, here jumping into <laughs> our main topic which is also star wars related mikey this was a suggestion of yours please
2: take it away yeah well you know we talk uh, as we were before the break we talked mm-hmm. a lot about star wars it's in the world we live in it's uh 90 of what we're talking about is usually marvel dc or star wars based and well, i think mm-hmm. we're all fine with that Um, Sorry,
1: JG, but yes, go ahead. But
2: but one of the things (laughs) that we talked a lot about, we knew that we wanted to talk Star Wars this week. And, you know, obviously we all have a lot of love for the original trilogy. And obviously there are a lot of people that love the prequels. There's a lot of people that dislike the prequels. Uh, Clone Wars, there's a lot of love for that stuff. But from the moment that Disney purchased Lucasfilm on October 30th in 2012, from that point on, there's been lots of questions about what would happen to Star Wars, where it was gonna go. There's a lot of people that feel like Disney is, uh, you know, kind of drenching the market with Star Wars to the point that it's not going to be fun and exciting anymore. But right. they've done a lot, not just the not just the new trilogy, uh, but with Clone Wars Season 7, with Star Wars Rebels, with Star Wars Resistance, uh, with the comic books, with the new novels that have come out post this era that are now considered canon, with Mandalorian on Disney+. .Plus, yeah. There's been so many things that they have done that we thought it would be a fun idea to kind of take a look at the post-Disney world of Star Wars and pick some of the most iconic moments in the things that we think they really are doing right. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Uh, okay, who would like to go first? You know what? I'll, I'll start with
3: mine. Okay. Um, and and this, is a, <laughs> this is a movie that uh, became the first sort of disappointment for Star Wars, not just post-Disney, but uh, across the whole spectrum. But Solo. Um, mm-hmm. Solo was a movie that I was really, really excited to see. Uh, big fan of Lord and Miller from Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs and 21 Jump Street. As we all know, it, it didn't work out. They they were replaced and most of their film was reshot. So we don't know how much actually made it in. Uh, but there is a moment as they are fleeing the spice mines where Han has to get behind the controls of the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. And then Chewie joins him. And that moment as they are in the middle of doing the Kessel Run. Um, that moment where I think it's the only time in the movie that we get the classic Star Wars theme as the two of them sit down. Yeah. Now, no matter what you think about that movie, I know a lot of people have some love for it. A lot of people are, are, are don't. Um, and some people think it's just okay. Um, whatever you think about that movie, whatever you think about those performances, that moment for me was pure Star Wars. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can turn that, that's the beauty of DVDs and now streaming is that we can find our find these moments that we just want to experience again and we can pull that up and the moment that the two the, the that 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 pair that those two these two who are going to go on to be lifelong friends where they I'm going to getting emotional where um, oh, they wow. where they sit down behind the controls of the Millennium Falcon for the first time I absolutely love that moment
1: wow wow strong strong emotions all right all right uh,
2: uh, Mikey yeah, I'll pick, uh, you know, I'm going to get this one out of the way now because I think it's it's top of mind and I know that we're going to do a spoiler review of this as well this week. But mm. uh, the final four episodes of Clone Wars, which uh, the final episode just aired on Monday, May the 4th, uh, in general is just filled with iconic Star Wars moments. I yeah. mean, I think a lot of people online are saying this is the Star Wars movie that we've deserved. Uh, this is the thing that everybody wanted. It feels like epic Star Wars. It wraps up the stories of Rex, Ahsoka Tano, Darth Maul. It kind of puts an end on the Clone Wars in a very official way. Uh, And there's two moments I think that I want to talk about in this finale Mm -hmm. that to me are just iconic Star Wars. One, actually, uh, you know, going along with Shannon's lifelong friends moment is the moment when order 66 is ordered in uh in 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 the finale and uh ahsoka is forced to face off with rex someone who she's fought with because and i love this because order 66 as we all know is an iconic moment in the star wars universe in general but it kind of happens so uh That Because they had to show the scope in Revenge of the Sith, of all the Jedi going down, you just kind of saw a bunch of things happening at once and you kind of recognized the the enormity of what was happening. And what they did here is they took two characters that we all care very deeply about and put them in a position where they were at odds with each other, probably for one of the first times in a major way. Because, you know, Rex was a clone in Order 66. He's going to kill himself some Jedi. Right. And that moment was filled with so much emotion so much it was it was the perfect thing of Star Wars where it's you know it's clones and aliens and lightsabers but the emotion in that moment is so real and so devastating it was just amazing yeah. um, and in addition to that uh, the um, the the final shot of uh of uh, of Clone Wars which uh wait,
1: you, is this two moments you get in the you two moments for one i was gonna What's say
2: you well you no know, <laughs> <laughs> some, some of us may have another thinking, moment i'm just saying right. i feel like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna touch that moment yet i'll save it for the spoiler review anyway but the end the last shot of star wars clone wars is pretty epic that's all i'll say on to johnny
1: <laughs> i know that i'm gonna get a lot of shit for this and i and so be it but i think one of my favorite iconic moments is the end of rogue one uh when uh when uh, uh, Akashian Andor and Jyn Erso hug each other before it's over. Like, that to me was so shocking. And I know you got the, um, you know... Oh, sorry, no, no, I'm sorry, not the... I'm sorry, the uh, the Vader moment. That's the moment that to me... It's not, not the hugging thing. I was, I was thinking... Of Why are you going to get shit for that? That's what... Yeah, that's yeah. what... Yeah, yeah, but the but Vader sure moment. That? Yeah, whoa, the you, Vader. Oh, you do, you doing two moments? You no, doing no, no, two no, moments? I'm, gonna,
2: oh, I'm <laughs> gonna take one moment. <laughs> two moments. Two yeah.
1: moments. One moment it has to be the. It has to be the Rogue One moment. Now, I'm not gonna get shit for this one. Uh, There's the other one I was thinking about, but this is the one that actually d- deserves to be uh, talked about. And this is the uh, him lighting that lightsaber up in that dark room. I mean, honestly, I-, I think that's the number one moment from all the moments that have happened since Disney purchased, because the reaction in the crowd, the reaction the first time. It goes dark, and they perfectly timed this. Whoever edited this, or maybe it was uh, the director, like deciding, okay, hold it, hold it, hold it. Now uh, it's, it's dark, and then you hear the breath, and you hear the iconic Vader breath, and then the lightsaber lights, the red lightsaber in the dark. And when it lights, the place went, Ape shit. And so that is a perfect. And you saw you saw him destroy everybody in that room that showed you the ferocity of Vader, which a lot of people who'd fallen back in love, for better or worse, with Vader's evil tendencies, going back and watching the trilogy and watching him in, and reading him in the comic books and watching him in the animated series, whenever he'd pop up, they got reminded of the ferocity and the violence and the evil that Vader was always capable of at any moment. So I thought that moment was something that is absolutely iconic post, uh, post uh, a Disney purchase.
3: Next. Right. So I, so are we doing three or are we doing two? Three
1: do each? Think? I think three
3: each. Just
0: keep, going
2: until, we're keep okay. going until we're done. Okay. okay.
1: All right. So, so that means so, seven uh, moments from uh, Rebels for Mikey. And, <laughs> right, go
3: ahead, yeah.
2: I got a list of 35 moments.
3: <laughs> so I am going to switch over to Rebels. <laughs> Okay. And at no the conclusion okay. of the first season, where Ezra has constructed his sort of makeshift lightsaber, like dual blaster oh, wow. lightsaber, and when Kanan gets a hold of it, and he ends up taking on the Inquisitor, and you see him running at the Inquisitor, firing blasts, and as he gets there, he he then ignites the lightsaber, and you see the moment of Ezra going like, "Huh, why didn't I think of that? that that's yeah. that's a re- that's a really good move." Um, one of the great things that rebels was able to do was to open up a corner of characters that we'd never met and make them so incredibly endearing that one of them has, has bled into the, the DNA of rogue one mm-hmm. with just sort of a call out that we see the ghost in the end of rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Um, I think the, the, the rebel series shows you that there's still plenty of life in star Wars when you get away from your main cast. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really true. Uh, I think – I have so many, and there's so many things I want to talk about. But I think one of the moments where Star Wars, in very recent memory, has won and won really big, uh, there's a lot of great moments in The Mandalorian. But I think just mm. the end of the first episode, the reveal of the child, or yeah. as we all like to call him, Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda. <laughs> um, Baby Yoda represents – Yeah, man the best of what Star Wars is and needs to be, which is it cashed in on something that there's a lot of nostalgia for, yeah. which is Yoda, uh, what he is, what his species is. I mean, Yoda is an uh, iconic part of Star Wars, but we don't know the child's story. We don't know where he came from. We don't know what he's about. And whatever the remnants of the empire want him for, whatever his journey is going to be in season two, he rep- there's something new and fresh about him. It's taking something that we love and not just repackaging it. It's not taking a Death Star and making it a bigger Death Star and mm. calling it Star Killer Base. Right. It's doing something brand new uh, that makes us feel nostalgic but also gets us excited. I mean, the way the internet went wild, the way they very very um, the way- John Favreau through his work on Marvel movies and everything else was very wise to understand that when you license toys. Uh, there's a group of hardcore fans that find those names so that they can figure out what characters are going to be in anything. So they refuse to let anybody make any merchandise around Baby Yoda so that it would be totally a surprise. And when that surprise hit, yeah. everybody freaked out in the way that you want fans to freak out. Uh, yeah. And so we don't know where Baby Yoda's going to do- go. We don't know what his story is. But thus far, uh, that reveal is, uh, is one of the things they've gotten just 100% right, I think. Yeah, yeah, I
1: think that's a great point. Um, I'm going to throw one in there. This one I might get some crap for, and I can't believe I'm throwing it. in from Last Jedi. Um, You say iconic. Iconic moments doesn't have to always be like these life-changing moments within the characters or the scope or the history of Star Wars or the mythology of Star Wars. For me, that Admiral Holdo moment when she slams that destroyer and separates it in half. I the, the people talk about uh, you know the Kennedy assassination or 9/11 or like where were you do you remember where you were I will always whoa, remember whoa, whoa. yeah yeah I I'm, I'm, do, I'm doing that kind of comparison whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I will always remember <laughs> you know I will always remember sitting two seats away from the middle aisle four rows uh, back from the end of the theater at the at on Disney at the Disney lot Watching that moment and uh, reaching across the person I was sitting with and holding the bow, the uh, kind of the railing that they have there, because my mind was exploding and I needed to kind of uh, uh, you know like attach myself to the ground because I'd never seen anything like that in Star Wars. The sound and brilliantly done by Ryan Johnson, remove sound completely. As it would be in space you would not hear an explosion like that in space to just do it and the ferocity and the visual of it the scope of it was so incredible and it came uh, uh, with someone sacrificing themselves for the greater good you can argue the merits of that movie all day long if you want both positive and negative but that moment that moment is when i glimpsed of the scope that's possible In these movies, with these people in charge of these movies, what kind of incredible scenes we can see in the future from these people in charge of uh, Lucasfilm and Disney uh, uh, with Star Wars. So I I love that moment, man.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting moment because it sparked a lot of debate after the fact as far as – if all you have to do to destroy something like that is uh, turn on your hyperdrive and aim, why haven't we done that with the Death Star and why haven't we done those other things? So there's a lot of logistical arguments about what exactly happened there and how do you repeat it and how do you prevent it from happening? But you're 100% right that um, the sheer spectacle of that, I remember the same as you. I mean, when that moment happened in the theater, like just everybody's jaw dropped. You could actually hear people gasping because the theater was silent. So it was definitely an amazing moment. Uh, and so sure. my
3: potentially last last moment here. Mm. Um, so for those of you that have, for those of our listeners who have a uh, uh, the void, the VR experience. If you have oh, one yeah. in your city, if you have one near you, um, I believe they're still doing Secrets of the Empire, which is you've been uh, enlisted into the rebellion by Cassian Andor. You uh, y- you dress up as a stormtrooper and you have to go in and sort of uh, infiltrate this base this is one of those things like they have, I want to say they have three in Los Angeles. Mm. There's, there's the, there's one in Glendale. There's one down in Anaheim. I feel like there was one at the century city mall at one point, but basically these are all over the country. There's not a ton of them, but getting to, you know, put on this VR gear, put on, put on this pack, put on these goggles uh, and be, In the Star Wars universe, it is one of the coolest things. And like, Mm -hmm. I've been to Galaxy's Edge several times, and I really like Galaxy's Edge. But being able to look in a mirror and see a stormtrooper looking back at you, the moment like you, like K2SO is sort of guiding you along your mission, and you can reach out and touch him. Like, the way Mm -hmm. that they have designed that, the way it feels when you shoot a blaster, when it Mm -hmm. how it feels when you get shot by a blaster, this is so incredible. It, it, it hurts. It, 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 it stings. It tickles. Um it's so it's just such a magical Star Wars experience mm-hmm. that um I don't know if that would have happened without without the Disney purchase. Yeah.
2: Good point. Great points, great points. I was so sweaty because <laughs> I like when we got out, when I went, I went with some guys and we did it and we got done and I took this stuff off and I was sweating because I had been so into all of it like i was screaming at everybody i was like it got got very intense there near the end you know you hear that uh you hear that you hear that heavy breathing and then you see a red lightsaber and you know it's coming and listen (laughs) you shit your pants oh tell you right now yeah
3: doesn't matter how how good of a shot you are
1: yeah i hope to find out someday maybe i'll get invited next time you guys go all right anyway uh what's your uh, what's your (laughs) For those of you that don't know, Michael just fainted off the screen. Right, what's, what's, your, what's your moment, Mikey? Uh, I,
2: I I hate to double down on Ahsoka Tano moments, but oh. fuck it, she's my favorite character. And I'm going to, and I'm going to go back to. Re- I actually I was split. I had two. Yeah. One was from the comics, but I'm going to go with my Rebels one. So if we a have a moment split. at the end, I might. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, I, I think that. The moment in the season two finale of Rebels, Shannon covered the season one finale. In the season two finale of Rebels, where Ahsoka Tano uh faces Anakin Skywalker. I mean it's oh, Darth Vader, yeah. but I mean she really she great. it's the moment that she fully uh realizes that her uh her master and Darth Vader are one and the same, like a hundred percent. There was some yeah. she suspected it before, but that moment where they face each other uh, and, and Vader says, you know, that they don't have to be enemies, that, that the Emperor will, will, will be cool with her and that she stands up to him. Um, it's kind of like the Rex Ahsoka moment I was talking about earlier. I mean, I think what they've done with Ahsoka Tano is so amazing. And I've said this before and I will probably say this. Without, I, think, I think Ahsoka Tano is the Rey that they wish they had. I yeah. like Rey. I think Daisy Ridley's amazing. I very much like Rey, despite my misgivings about Rise of Skywalker. But I think in Ahsoka Tano, they have the the, the Star Wars heroine that they really, really wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, Her backstory is great. Everything about her arc in Clone Wars is great. And then Rebels really has this moment that I just don't think there's a more powerful moment. I mean, and I'm even including like Luke facing his dad at the end of Jedi, which is... You know, for a generation of kids watching those movies, was the penultimate. Oh my God, they're facing off! Something about Ahsoka facing Anakin hits me way, way harder. Yeah, well, this is me, but I yeah. love it. It's no, it's, it's, love it's, it. it's it's a pure Star Wars moment.
1: It was a fantastic lightsaber moment uh, in battle. and battle. Of course, we're going to get into um, uh, the spoiler uh heavy uh, Clone Wars review, uh, which also features an incredible lightsaber battle as well. But that one is always that. I think I love I prefer that one. The one you just mentioned, Mikey, because of the nature of everyone involved in it and the emotional journey that both had been on uh, to lead to that moment and the history between them as well. Incredible. And the way it ended. Just incredible. uh, Kind of wondering what was going to happen. My last moment uh, is um, kind of a little bit of, of Shannon's moment, but in the future. And that is when Han and Chewie go back onto the Falcon and Han says we're home. Uh, I remember just because uh, I didn't go to celebration that year, uh, and I remember the the trailer dropped, and that like as soon as someone either texted me or I saw a, a notice on my Twitter that it had dropped, I immediately ran to my bedroom, put on the uh, uh, put on the computer, and watched it over and over and over again. The Force Awakens trailer, and when he said. Chewie were home I absolutely lost it and look I am not like you know a slavish devotee to Star Wars I'm a fan of Star Wars but I'm not like you know a a huge huge massive fan of it I'm just I'm a fan of it but I love those characters and so for them coming back to get a chance to say goodbye to what made them in a lot of our minds so um, uh, essential and so much a part of our youth and our growing up time uh, it was great to see them step back into those roles but that moment is the moment. Uh, you know, Harrison Ford and uh, Chewbacca there. I think it's Peter Mayhew who is doing it in Force Awakens for the most part. But them, but him saying, Chewie, we're home, dude, broke me in half. Just broke me in half. Uh, and it meant so much uh, to see that.
2: That's my choice. Yeah. Uh, ooh. So are yeah. we doing – that, is that our you, three? Uh, that's our
1: three. But if you want to do one more, feel free, Mikey.
2: I will offer up one more, then we can do okay. final thoughts, I guess. But like we're an hour, uh, yeah. and, and I do think that Shannon actually has brought this moment up before, but I just think um, it was one of the first things that came to mind, and it's in the Star Wars comics that mm-hmm. came out, because so, yeah. with Marvel and Star Wars and Lucasfilm, like, when they kind of got rid of all the old comics and the old books and said none of this is canon, uh, the old video games, everything, none of it's canon anymore – Um, and started off with a new, you know, Star Wars number one and whatever. And I read the Star Wars comics and the Darth Vader comics, and the Vader comics was where this happened. Um, Again, we've talked about this before, but an area of Star Wars that never occurred to most people, I think that when you watch the original trilogy and you watch New Hope into Empire Strikes Back, there's this assumption that Vader kind of always knew who Luke was and was just like keeping it close to the vest. Uh, And one of those brilliant, ideas that they had was the thought that Vader had no idea like you know Obi-Wan takes Luke to Tatooine and hides him with his uncle and gives him the same last name so not the best plan as far as hiding (laughs) goes but nevertheless uh, hides him away and uh, when this young pilot blows up the Death Star using the Force, Vader becomes very obsessed with finding out who that person was and hires Boba Fett to uh, find out who the kid is. Like, who is this yeah. rebel that blew up the Death Star? And so Boba Fett does what Boba Fett does and uh, makes his way to Tatooine and makes his way to the Maz Cantina and follows the leads and ends up in Obi-Wan Kenobi's uh, old house yeah. where he ends up facing off against Luke and they have this battle, but he does find out that this is the kid So he goes back to the Star Destroyer uh, and reports into Darth Vader and says, hey, the kid who blew up the Death Star is some dude from Tatooine. His name is Luke Skywalker. And kind of takes off. And Darth Vader just kind of stands there. And he's on the, you know, he's on this Imperial Star Destroyer. He's looking at his face and he clenches his fist and all the glass around him shatters. Yeah. And it is (laughs) such a powerful moment because Darth Vader is such a great character. And like, Mm. look, I... Shannon and I were talking about this. I I don't have a love for the prequels like some people do. Like, I do think that they are kind of pretty awful movies in a lot of ways. And I think Hayden Christensen's performance is not endearing anyone to Anakin. But the experience of watching The Clone Wars has kind of made me fall in love with Anakin.
1: Yeah, of course. Which was, I think, the point. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So watching The Clone Wars and that being my Anakin and that Anakin becoming Darth Vader, that's why when – when Ahsoka has to face off with him in Rebels, or when he finds out that he did have, that Luke is really his son in the comics, that the push and pull of the good inside Vader and the struggle that he has, has come to life for me in a way that it never did when I was younger. And when when those moments hit, they hit great. And I remember reading that comic and Vader just like clenching that fist when he realizes who it was that blew up the Death Star. It, it to me is like a top 10 Star Wars moment, hands down, of all time.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that because I mean, uh, he was told that his wife and his kids are dead, uh, you know, and uh, no. in that
2: moment, <laughs> exactly. No.
1: And in that moment, he realizes they weren't dead and that Obi Wan of all people has been hiding Luke. Yeah. Obi Wan of all people. Again, you were the chosen one. Rah! you know all of that gets factored into it which i love <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, it happens yeah. when, it
2: happens when you don't have the high ground yeah, that's right yeah
1: yeah and there's a lot of lava uh lava. all right well there we go <laughs> that's our episode of the geek buddies for yeah. this week thank you all so much for joining us it means so much when you hit play on youtube or download the episode on uh the on the geek buddies podcast feed uh, uh let's uh go around the table and do our thing shannon
3: Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at Geek Underscore Buddies on Instagram at The Underscore Geek Underscore Buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon Underscore McClung, on Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you'd like to follow Mr. Vogel, it's at MKTune. If you'd like to follow Mr. Roca, it's at The Roca Says.
1: That's right. You can follow him right there below. Mikey? Close your eyes.
2: Oh. Reach out. Sorry about that. Go ahead. Feel the... uh... Feel the geek energies around you, flowing around you, connecting the universe. Oh, my. Search your feelings. You know you want to subscribe below. You know you want to leave comments. You know that if you are listening to us on Anchor or Spotify or iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, you can leave a comment. You can leave some stars. You can retweet us. You can post us on Facebook. You can tell your friends that these are the geeks you're looking for. Oh, that's what we would like you to do.
1: That's good. I like that. Yeah. These are the geeks you're looking for. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, really appreciate you all uh, taking the time. As I said, and yeah, as Mike said, please subscribe to the channel right down below. Get get us uh, closer to 15,000 and marching towards 20,000 uh, would be great. And if you want to find me on Twitch, that's right. For God's sakes, the old man on Twitch, go uh, the outlaw nation, all one word, lowercase go and follow me there. I'll definitely be playing video games. I'll maybe be DJing and definitely having some live streams, uh, with a new show called Roka unfiltered, where if you thought I was a little restrained on these other shows, uh, you'll get the full Roka on that show. So oh, full on opinions. Uh, so uh, brace. Uh, I heard, I hope the platform is ready. <laughs> you thought Holdo split a destroyer. You just wait. Uh, all right. The, that's Oh, And one last thing, speaking of star Wars one announced this, uh, my new star Wars show, the Jedi way will be dropping, uh, this week as well. Uh, on the outlaw nation channel that is a produced show, not a live show. So just me tackling one uh, subject or topic on the, uh, on the, uh, uh, you know, about the galaxy far, far away, uh, just breaking it down and talking about 20 minutes, 25 minutes about it, giving my own thoughts and points of view. So if you could uh, watch that show and give it some love as well, I'd appreciate it. All right, that's it. Uh, we're good to go. We'll talk to you next time on another brand new episode of the geek, geek Bunnies. Hey! hey!